Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. My final year of high school, I did it essentially over two years because I couldn't swim and study at the same time. I was training like almost 40 hours a week. Oh, my God. Yeah. 40. And is that all from like 4 a.m. to till school? So I would train. Yes. Yeah. So like I'd be in the pool by 4.45 (laughs) and I'd train for two hours in the pool and then I'd go to the gym for an hour and a half. Um, and then go to school, and then after school I'd go back to the pool for another two hours. Oh, you must have been like a prune. Yeah, I was. Like, it was. this might sound really gross, but swimmers, if you swim, you, like, lick your hand in a public place and, like, the whole place smells like chlorine. That's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was literally just full of it. <laughs> God. I don't yeah. really miss it, though, so. I can imagine. I, I can, can imagine. Stop. <laughs> Yeah, I think that I, I can't think of a sport that requires more than that in terms of hours input. Maybe yeah. I, that's just because I don't know enough people who do international competitions and stuff, but um, I can't I'm imagine that people run for 40 hours a week, for example. There's the sports no, that are needlessly so. long just because they do like cricket, like where the, the, a game takes four days or something, and you're just like, well. It's unnecessarily long. I hate yeah. cricket. <laughs> Me too. It's too yeah. slow. <laughs> yeah. We're not, um, Yusuf and I aren't very big on sports in general. So, really? Like, yeah. I think so. In the UK, I don't know whether, I don't think Australia has football or soccer, I guess is internationally called. Um, no, yeah. Well, we have a soccer team, but no one really <laughs> one, follows one it. Soccer They're team. pretty shit. Like, well, no, like they play soccer. Like, we play soccer at like school and like there's school teams and right. regional competitions and stuff, but we don't have like, well, as far as I'm aware, we don't have like a national soccer competition. We just right. have like the Aussie, the Aussie Roos, I think they are, and they play internationally after the, after the office on a on a Friday night. Yeah, <laughs> we have it. we have AFL, so we have Australian rules football. That's what it's like. Really big in my football, state, but you can pick it up. Yeah, sort of. It's like a sort of like an oval shaped ball, and so like it, there's. Rugby, yeah, no, you, you can go. pass it forward. It's people refer it to rugby, but it's nothing like rugby at all. There's there's two goalposts, and if you get it between the two goalposts, it's six points. And then there's two little posts next to it, and if you get it between those, it's one point. Oh. And you have to watch it. If you watch on YouTube, it's actually hilarious. There's videos of Americans watching Australian rules football, and they're like, "What? The fuck? Like they're not wearing any padding? Like what are they doing? How are they doing this? It's a great game. You should watch it." Just Google, yeah. like, top 10, like, AFL moments or something. It's really good. It's cool. a great game. My team's Hawthorne, yellow and gold. Hawthorne. Yeah. The Hawthorne Hawks. What's going on there? 
it's gone on OmniFocus now, back. It's going to happen. Looks like you still just wrote it down as well. <laughs> yeah, it's in, the, it's in the system. It's a good game. It's a good game. Now you'll be into sports. You'll start following. That'll be it. That's the, yeah. <laughs> can we should, can we just have this as being part of the podcast? Are you okay with that? Yeah, that's I think fine. it makes the most sense to, yeah. We haven't that's just been fine. secretly recording. Yusuf does do that to me quite a bit, though. So you got you got to watch. And just uploads it, and that's it. Oh, Literally, that shouldn't have gone. The, the best, public. the best ones are like, no, 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 we won't use the video. We won't use the video. And then two days later, there I am on Instagram. The Chris does there that a lot to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like oh, this bit we're not recording. We're not recording. Gets some really juicy stuff from Yusuf, and then that's the trailer for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> so we are with Beck Keating. Beck is someone who we have worked with for a few months now and we've seen her kind of step off the social media hamster wheel and move on to a predictable sales model we've seen her grow a business and been able to get married while without having to kind of just put a whole life on hold so uh, it's been pretty good to see and During as we a found out, as well. she is an ex-prune I thought back when you were telling that story that what you were going to say was when you licked your hand, like the top layer of skin just came off. So I'm really glad that you said, <laughs> no, you know, your skin just evaporates out the chlorine. Just, <laughs> why? Why do you, does your, do your fingers go pruny? You said you said might Some, be a better person to answer that question. Yeah, you, I think it's something to do with osmosis. I'm not 100 yeah, percent sure though. It, it's just that, isn't it? Like you, you, your skin's not designed to be in water for a long mm. time, and so when when there's a lot of water outside, it pulls the water out of your skin. And so you end up shrivelly and pruny. Like a prune. Is that not reverse osmosis then? Lower concentrate, higher concentration, lower concentration. I think it's to do with like the chlorine though. Like uh, something to do with the, yeah, it'll the change osmosis. The, the there's probably actually less. Yeah, it'd change the gradient, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Back. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and <laughs> tolerating our um, complete irrelevancies. Um, speaking of which, speaking of which, would you rather be forced? To I wasn't drink- expecting them this early on. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you rather be forced to drink all liquids, like lapping them up with your tongue, or eat all food without any utensils? Look, I feel like the liquid thing is, like, not socially acceptable. But if you were going with food, you know, you can go, like, not that I really eat Maccas, but you could go to fast food and you can eat that with your hands. In fact, so I'd probably go with, with the food with hands. It, if you go to McDonald's and you eat with a knife and fork, well, that's more strange. That's exactly. weird. Exactly. I don't think so you'd probably be able to get the, the liquid volume in. I don't think you could, you could consume no. enough. We don't have you know dog, dog tongues. It, like, like, licks under. Back yeah. and then in. You need like an elephant. You'd just be trunk. licking for hours trying to get like half a litre of water in. Unless you can use a straw. Or you've got you've got so to lap it up. The right. la- yeah, the question was lapping. Yeah. It's got I think for lifespan reasons it would have to be the food, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Food with hands. Oh god. The pro- problem is, like, some of these are so long that I don't have time to screen them quickly before asking you. So it, it could be yeah, three sentences in, and you realise how dark and weird it is. Yeah, so and by that point, you've read too much of it. So we're going in blind here. But would you rather have the fire service extricate you from your own chimney after you were impersonating Father Christmas for your kids, 
Father Christmas, or have your neighbours catch you trampling through their garden, helping your kids toilet paper their house? <laughs> Never going blind again. <laughs> yeah. I can see the your, in my face. Your your reaction to Lisa was brilliant. Oh. Um, probably the second one. I feel like. Well, I don't have a chimney. I don't know how common they are in the UK, but I don't have a chimney. So that one's probably not going to happen. But the toilet paper one would be funny. Do you all have chimneys? I'm just looking at, yeah, every house I can see has a chimney. Multiple yeah, chimneys. Yeah, no, they're not common here. Unless you're like in a super old house. I suppose because they don't have them. pretty hot anyway, isn't it? Correct. You need a fire. So that's my answer good, would yeah. probably be the toilet paper. I think yeah. in Australia that would actually be found quite funny. I think that's sensible as well. The, the chimney... Like, as funny as it sounds to impersonate Father Christmas, I think it would be quite traumatic being stuck in a chimney. What? I'm yeah. very claustrophobic, so it wouldn't go down well. Like, would you want your arms down or up? Because both would be up. awful. Oh, it's got to be up. Yeah, but up, up, then you get the lat spread going, and then that's going to hurt too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but up, you've at least got a chance. I feel like up, you could, you could do that, couldn't you? Or that and push down. Whereas if your arms by your sides, that's it, you're stuck. You've got no leverage at all. I mean, it's, it's gonna, you're probably stuck anyway, which is the, the premise of the question. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I'd rather up. I, yeah, I reckon up. Fine. Or then you can try and slide out. If your shoulders are too big, sometimes your shoulders can press your head in. If your arms are oh, above your head. So then that might, might stop you from... So if you're a bodybuilder, arms down. I've seen Johnny experiencing that conundrum of doing pull-ups and having his face squashed between his arms. It's only when you're like resting at the bottom between reps, <laughs> trying to breathe while your shoulders are squishing your face. So, so actually, on that note, Beck, can you tell us about your transition from swimmer to online coach and how that's <laughs> how that's? That was a terrib- <laughs> that was a terrible selection. Terrible <laughs> Terrible. Was, that's the worst would you rather menu we've ever had on an episode. So, so while they, Beck's answering, I'm going to... They're from the would you rather board game that we have as as a backup sheet. For the, little, the photographs oh, of the, the cards. You yeah, need to improve we're, it. We're <laughs> um, in terms of... <laughs> so how I made my way from swimming to where I am now. So I obviously swam. Um, I swam until I was 19 and then I retired. And when I retired, I'd sort of just had enough of everything like because I'd been in such a like very rigorous schedule of training and my nutrition and everything like that I just had enough so I just literally gave up on everything I put on about 15 kilos which for me at the time was a lot of weight because I'm quite a small person um and I just one day just said enough was enough um started going to the gym and at the time when I was swimming I was power lifting as sort of our training in the gym so when I went back to the gym, all I knew how to do was, you know, squat, bench, deadlift, overhead press, that kind of stuff. So I was doing that. Um, and then I started actually working in a gym as a customer service manager. So more in the corporate side of stuff rather than PT. Really enjoyed it. Um, started to hate the way my body was looking in terms of building a powerlifting body. I was getting a really thick midsection, just wasn't the look I was after. So I started bodybuilding. 
absolutely fell in love with it, decided to get my PT qualification, started PTing alongside the work I was already doing at the gym um, and then decided that I wanted to coach online. And then I put in Spotify, how to build an online business and your podcast came up and here we are. <laughs> Little did you know that, is it like a year ago? Maybe a little bit less. Yeah, I think, I think, no, we started just after Melbourne went into lockdown the first time. So it would have been like start of April last year. So you've been so listening to the podcast like a year ago, then we spoke. No, no, no. No, I was listening to the podcast like Feb 2020, and then I think we spoke start of April. <clears throat> wow. Last Little year. did you know that you'd be getting asked questions about chimneys and... Chimneys. Toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> 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 so, so what was the... When, like, at that point, like, when you typed um, best online fitness business coaching podcast and we came up as number one when you you type that into spotify what were you what were you doing at the time to try and make the Um, online side of things work oh at the time i already had a bit of an instagram following i think i had like seven or eight thousand followers so fairly decent um so i was literally just posting on socials and i'd already had people ask me you know can you coach me online do you do online coaching do you pt so that's sort of how it started um so I was just like okay well I'll see if I can make this work and I was just posting on Instagram and a little bit on Facebook here and there tried to run some Facebook ads but didn't really have much success with it because I had no idea what I was doing um and yeah then from there I just I got a couple of clients but not a lot I maybe the max I had at any one time was six or seven maybe um and it wasn't really scalable wasn't really working um so I was like okay I need if I want to do this properly I need to actually work out what is going to work and how to do it correctly so that I can actually scale and build my business who were the people that were approaching you saying can you work with me um people either who followed me or who had seen me at the gym because I already worked at a gym I just wasn't a PT so I had had people ask me through there through my Instagram a lot like a lot of DMs and things like that um of people who had been following me for a while seeing my content um at back then I was posting a lot more regularly than I do now so I did have a lot of success through that but and then I got a few referrals as well but then it just ended up being I was just literally advertising to the same people okay and so wasn't it was kind of getting any your, further your local circle and were, yeah, correct. did they fit a certain profile or a certain like um, goal or demographic or anything? Yeah, so it was basically women who wanted to lose weight mainly. I had a few guys inquire um, and I did coach them for a while, but it wasn't really <clears throat> something I was very good at, I guess. I just didn't get along with males the same. Um, no offence to males if anyone takes offence to that. <laughs> so we we um, have had complaints in the past when we had a male coach on. I don't know if I should even mention his name because it, it wasn't I, that I, I remember that. Uh, I remember yeah. when that happened. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I only work with men between 25 and 35 who have two years training experience. And, you know, he's just niched down, but people took it the wrong way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I, I, no one take it the wrong way. I'm not saying I wouldn't train a man. You just probably won't have the best experience with me. <laughs> so, I, mean, I, th- I think that happens quite a bit, to be honest. I think like people... <clears throat> I'd be very careful with what I say here, haven't I? Very careful. Um, I think people pick coaches based on sort of who they see themselves in or who they mm. kind of want to be. And I think people yeah, naturally have a 
like male coaches tend to work with men, female coaches tend to work with men. I think that happens more often. Um, we see that more often in the people we work with than people who just work with, with anyone. Because I suppose you, you've got a niche at some point, haven't you? So one of the easiest ways to niche as well, if I pick people like me three, four years ago, and then you tend to have this immediate like, selection of problems that they're experiencing or thought patterns they're experiencing. And I think yeah. that even the, I think the examples that always get thrown around is like, if you look at a copy of men's health and women's health or men's fitness, and women's fitness, like the phrasing and the, the terms they use, are like shred versus tone and abs versus like, yeah i know like it, it, it that's kind of i think where this originated from then and then it, that stopped happening but people still brand and market differently so is that is marketing to women something that you consciously do or were you yeah absolutely at the time yeah. yeah, so at the time, not really, but I was posting sort of before and after photos of myself and I think that sort of instigated people to be like, oh, I look like she does on the left and I want to look like she does on the right, so I'm going to contact her. And I think that's how I sort of niched down naturally, like it wasn't a choice that I'm going to work with women between 18 and 35 that want to lose weight or sculpt their body or whatever it is. That wasn't a conscious choice. It just sort of happened. It seems like sometimes these things come about from you you put yourself out there you make content and then the market clearly tells you something and it's like you do something and then it feels like you're tapping a live wire and you're like oh whoa okay got a big response from that from this kind of person and then it's like well i may as well double down on that and you know i, th I think the mistake we made was we kind of were deaf to that for for so long um rather than just going with it and we've you know we've you've probably actually heard one of the one of the guys in the in the propane business group who was doing like a dad's challenge so it's like for new dads mm. wanting to get into shape and he just kept getting women joining his challenge um <laughs> like, like like young youngish professional women i have heard this yeah and, then, and and he was like no 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 this is for new dads and they were like what but why can't i join and it kept happening and he wasn't managing to reach out to, to get through to dads and it was just and it was like mate like whatever it is about the way that your content is being produced it is clearly a, like the market is telling you something there so just go with it like no point fighting against the the river with it yeah absolutely he even managed to get women into a, a challenge that he targeted to men only on facebook ads and he had women buy from that and it's just like <laughs> facebook that. targeting did well on that one <laughs> well i think people were like adding they were adding their partners their wives their girlfriends into it they bought and the yeah, men didn't. Okay. <laughs> that is even when you kind of lock all the doors, people then start coming in through the windows and then through the air conditioning. It's like, okay, the chimneys, ladies, down the chimneys. Down the chimneys. <laughs> and then someone's toilet paper in your house, you need to get the woman who's bought out the chimney. So yeah, so he that was something he was doing was resonating and he didn't know what. So it is often this like subconscious phrasing you use ways you communicate in hindsight what is it you that you think that that you were doing that was making you resonate more with women in general um i think i mean i think it was not conscious at the time like i was sort of just doing it subconsciously but i find women are very emotional beings <laughs> a lot of the time um and i think a lot of women post on instagram that their life is something that it's not and they make it out to be so perfect, et cetera, et cetera. And I never did that. And I always spoke to, well, I always do speak to like sort of modern issues that women have um, through my Instagram captions. Like I'm sure you've seen that. Mm. Um, and it's not, you know, a 
meaningless quote with a photo of my ass hanging out of my shorts. Like I don't post that kind of stuff and I never have. So I think that subconsciously sort of spoke to women that I was real, I was raw, I was relatable rather than, you know, everything else that's out there on Instagram. Yeah, you've got a very authentic voice on Instagram and and the stuff that you talk about is kind of the the more like down-to-earth problems that I think a lot of the kind of quote influencers will just skim over. Mm. and as you say it's it's yeah like the influencers will get big followings and it's very aspirational but they're certainly by the way that they've positioned themselves they're not relatable yeah exactly do you, do you deal with a lot of people who like cut clients wise who've <clears throat> followed that advice so maybe followed it in i think we we don't get it so much now but we used to have a lot, a lot of people who would have you know they followed a a download or a PDF or a like an app-based program for, from an influencer that was painted as this is how I mm-hmm. got into shape or like this was this is the the seven day a week ab routine that I use and they follow yeah. that for a long period of time and they're, they're very much indoctrinated in those ways and there's a lot of stuff to unpick. Does that happen with the people you're working with as well? Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot like that who um and I've been known to call a few of them out on my Instagram previously, but. <laughs> Um, I've had a lot like that that come through and they're sort of, you know, eating 1,200 calories, they're doing booty kickbacks, you know, and they're doing yeah. crunches and there's no weights involved and they're doing enormous amounts of cardio and trying to get rid of that sort of ingrained habits that they have and that they feel like they've been taught is the right way is really challenging, especially when you're telling them, like, no, I want you to eat over 2,000 calories a day. They're like, what? What? No, I, I can't eat that much. And they're just like, they're like, I'm going to put on so much weight. Like, I'm going to get fat. This is not what I came to you for. And it becomes quite an emotional conversation. Um, and it's really damaging what some of the influencers are posting. And, you know, a lot of them have butt implants yet they're posting programs to grow your butt and people buy those programs and it doesn't work so trying to get rid of that um stigma i guess that they have with how to grow muscle or what you need to do to tone is really challenging i suppose it's worse than like the nearest example i can think of is you know like a a steroid user bodybuilder posts a program saying like this is the program or this is the supplement this is the protein Mm. powder i used to get this results when actually there's a lot of other stuff that's not just whey protein and creatine going into that. Exactly. But I suppose exactly. if you follow that program, it's still probably going to work a bit. Yeah. Whereas if someone's, oh, no, 100%. Because <clears throat> I think that Yusuf and I were just talking about this before this call. That like We've both seen examples of, um, I guess it's mainly female influencers who are in amazing, amazing shape, like look like professional bodybuilders. And the stuff that they're claiming to, to do, that their training that they claim to do, is all body weight based it's very like it's like a 20 minute routine and they claim that's their training and it's so hard to look at that and believe it but i think what i what i don't get about that is if someone's eating 1200 calories a day doing seven days of cardio and doing that stuff it's not like that's this easy like it takes no effort route route. so why why not just do why not just advertise three days a week weight training what what do you think promotes this path that they put everyone down I think because so many of the influencers already post that that's the way to get in shape, the easiest way for them to sell that is to continue to promote the same thing just to their audience. And for me personally, because I promote something different, people are like, oh, no, that's not what the industry says. That's very different to the industry. I don't believe you until they start following me, see what I post, even talk to me. Like I'm always happy to talk to people through Instagram DM or whatever, but 
sort of debunking those really common general traits of the fitness industry for women is really hard to do. So I think they just sell what the industry already naturally sells. Interesting. It's just the easy path because it's, it's got momentum already. So they just think, well, correct. Let's just jump and they're like, oh, well, I have right. 2 million followers. So let's just yeah. do that. And you don't always try that hard to sell some, do you? Exactly. If you've got 2 million followers. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You'll get some. It'd be interesting to see if there's people who, like, if you go back through their posting log, have made a handbrake turn when they realize that, oh, this isn't, this isn't gaining the traction that I want, so I'm just going to completely, like, change my approach. It probably the, is, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, this, this person that, that Johnny and I were talking about, like, she, yeah, she looks like a bodybuilder, she's big and lean, and she is doing, like, hopping one leg to another on the beach and oh, you know nah. st- oh i think i know who you're talking about yeah <laughs> if you're saying that's the post you're talking about i think i know who you're talking she, about but she's carrying yeah. like more muscle mass than a lot of my like male friends who train fairly consistently so i, I just mm-hmm. look at it and think how how are you managing to build that amount of muscle with just bodyweight programming yeah and maybe, no, and maybe it's true then, but it just seems i unlikely. highly highly doubt it <laughs> maybe we, like we there's only so the much overload you can do there's only so much overload you can do on body weight programs. Yeah. Like, really, are you doing body a thousand, program? like a thousand step, a thousand hops on one leg and swapping? Well, that's it. Like, <laughs> I would, I'd even believe it more if it was like, do this really hard press up variation and like, and it's body weight, but it's loaded. It's not even that. It's just hopping around and stuff that kind of looks aesthetic in the sun and on the beach and, you know, in Taiwan or Singapore or it, whatever. It looks fun, doesn't it? Like, no one likes that's, the look of someone that's the appeal. Like bright red and and that's like straining under a squat like that doesn't look like that would be enjoyable Whereas, and it looks hard and things like oh i just have to walk on a treadmill for an hour i can you know jump on instagram text my friends while i do that watch a movie whatever oh, i only have yeah. to eat 1200 calories well oh well i only eat 1500 now so that's no different and it just seems i guess it's appealing to people that that's the way you get results it's not the cold hard truth of how you actually do so I think what you've des- you described there, like the differences in marketing to men and women, like the, there's more of kind of emotional um, beliefs to mm. to get around based on, you know, the previous people they've been following and so on. Whereas I think from working with like generally 70 to 80 percent of the people that come to us cold are men <clears throat> for fitness and our marketing is very much metric based. It's very kind of these are the inputs, these are the outputs. It's kind of it, it's very very numerical and analytical and even the women that come to us have more of that that mindset Mm. um now there certainly are false beliefs to get over with with the men but i think one of the you know they're they're always much more prepared to to lift and train and eat because it's you know it's part of the it's part of what's part and parcel of it's kind of the rite of passage of doing it whereas with what bodybuilders post yeah exactly yeah um, whereas with, with women, I think, um, you said that one of them is people are afraid to, to eat over 2000 calories. Mm-hmm. And I think the other one that we really struggle with getting over, I'm sure you do as well, is the like, oh, but I'll get too bulky if I train like this. Yeah. How do yeah, you deal absolutely. with that one? 
Um, I think that one is I ask the question, you know, how bulky do you feel now? Are you comfortable getting more bulky or do you want to lean down first and then we'll put some muscle on? Um, And a lot of the time it's I want to lean down first. So we spend three or four months, um, I guess we spend the first month sort of working out where their maintenance actually is if they haven't tracked before, get them down. And then when they actually start to see the muscle definition that they have, once they've lost that weight, it's a lot easier to convince them to up their calories a little bit. Um, But if you try and start someone by upping their calories straight away it just never works so yeah i suppose you're also the question like you have the physique photos on your instagram and you're like look i train to gain muscle like i am i am training as a bodybuilder and this is years of work and i'm not like bulky so yeah you know yeah absolutely and i use the example all the time when they're like well 2000 calories i'm like like when i was in my peak bulk last year when we were in COVID and I didn't really care what anyone thought I looked like, I was eating almost 4,000 calories a day. And they're like, oh, okay, 2,000 is not that bad then. <laughs> <laughs> that's an impressive. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Did you did you work up to that or was that was it just like? I worked up to it, it, yeah. I started at like I was cutting sort of when we went into our first lockdown and then I was kind of just like, nah, all right, let's just go for a big bulk. Like I haven't done one in a while and I just built up slowly. I added like. I think it was about 100 or 150 a week until I sort of like started to see my weight go up and I got up to, I think it was about 3,800 a day. Bloody hell. That's awesome, Beth. That is awesome. I put on How a lot find... of muscle. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find eating that amount of food every day? It was actually it's... a little bit uncomfortable some days, yeah. especially like sitting at my computer a lot of the day. Um, but if I, you know, got out and went for a walk and stuff like that, it was all right. I was eating very calorie-dense food. Like I was having like ice cream, like proper ice cream, not Johnny's Halo Top stuff every <laughs> <Sure>. night. <laughs> I'm on like, I'm on nowhere near those calories back. So I've got to, got to have whatever treats I can in the in my 2,500 calorie limits. Oh, that, you're on yeah. Pavo calories. I you're know, like prepping for a show. <laughs> <laughs> Because that, that, I think the, that that amount of calorie intake is nice for a day or like two or three days, and then you just start feeling a bit like, oh god, again. Yeah. At least that's that's what happens to me, and like I feel like yeah. my men, my like you're less mentally sharp, your sleep's a bit worse, and then you kind of then it becomes normal, and you, then you can up your calories again. But there's always this window of it being a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. I would definitely, there were some mornings where I would fast in the morning and I probably wouldn't eat until about 11 and then we'd go out for like big, like oily pizza nice for, for dinner and nice. sort of make up the calories. So it made it a lot easier, but yeah, it wasn't easy, but then I get hungry and I'm like, Oh, I wish I was back on those calories again. Yeah. So, so is the nutrition side of things the biggest, is it, is it more of a nutritional set of myths and like, calorie limits and what people think it or is it is the training a bigger deal it's everything some like i've had some really bad ones before some that like it's a whole like lifestyle belief thing like with women you can't well with the women i coach anyway you can't coach them as just here's a program here's your nutrition check in once a week do your measurements etc 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 just doesn't work like that so many of them have so many self-beliefs that are incorrect that social media has told them or they feel like society has told them that you have to debunk as well and there's so many layers to it like they'll come and say I just want to lose weight and you say okay why do you want to lose weight and they're like oh I don't know and it becomes quite an emotional conversation to get down to the bottom of it and then from there once you're at the bottom of where it is then it's about removing all of those layers to get them to where they want to be. So there's so much more than just nutrition and exercise. It's, you know, oh, I 
work a nine to five so I'm a bad person because I don't get to spend time with my kids because all the influencers on Instagram are always with their kids. So it makes me a bad person. And then they feel bad about themselves. Then they emotionally eat. Then they don't train. They don't go for a walk. They don't do anything. So there's always, most of the time, a lot of layers to training the kind of women that I train. It's about kind of pulling on the golden thread until you get to the very end and you're like, oh, wow, this is like deep down the rabbit hole here. I think with everyone loves a client that holds all of their opinions lightly and they just go, yep, I'm a blank slate. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then sometimes you don't even hear from those clients for 12 weeks and then they send you a progress photo and they've just got full abs and they're like, oh yeah, program was great. And you're like, oh, you... (laughs) I thought you just dropped off the wagon, but actually. <laughs> I wish I had clients like that. <laughs> I have emotional women. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I think like the, the, the biggest, we, we have clients who, uh, as Yusuf says, like some of them just don't really care what they do. Like they don't have mm-hmm. an opinion on training or, or diet or they maybe do, but they're happy to, to let go of it. And they, we just give them some material and they just dive into it. And before we know that they're like meditating, reading, journaling, they drop 10 kilos and all that sort of stuff. And then I think there are increasingly because if you go back like even five, six years, people then didn't necessarily follow fitness influencers. It was more like mm-hmm. you would see someone on the cover of a magazine that you maybe recognized or someone would be in, like Gerard Butler was in 300 and then everyone's doing the Gerard Butler training program. Whereas now there's so many different, like everyone has these opinions that are formed from someone they follow on YouTube or Instagram and they've bought three or four of their programs. And you try to, as you, as you say before, you try and tell them that's wrong. There is a lot of work. Good of luck. Like bringing, yeah. <laughs> like bringing them, the coaching is basically bringing them back to you. Well, remember like what we spoke about in the first week of how, how all of that doesn't really work. And, and that's really where yeah. the coaching is. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. A lot of what you were doing prior to working with us was like the, or, the or, organic and one-to-one. That's how I kind of categorize them. So like on the organic, yeah. on the promotional side of things, it was posting on social media. And then the delivery side of things was... It was very manual. Message-based. Very manual. Yeah. What are some of the changes that you've gone through in, in that process since oh since working with us? A lot. Um so I guess back then it was sort of taking me on average when I worked it out about an hour and a half to two hours to coach a client a week, just purely based on the manual. I mean, I was using spreadsheets then. I'm not very good at spreadsheets at all. So it would take me forever just to work out how to program someone, let alone do anything else. Um, I was doing like manual check-in emails every week, um, answering everything manually. So like I'd send like voice recordings, but answer the same question a million times in a voice recording. So it was just, yeah, it was just very, very manual. There was no sort of system or process or anything. Like if I wanted to take a holiday, I had to keep coaching because otherwise I didn't have clients anymore. So now everything, not everything, it's sort of semi-automated, I guess, is what you guys call it as well. Um, You know, my emails are automated. My check-ins are automated in terms of telling them to check in, getting them to check in. If they don't do it in time, they don't get a check-in. Um, I've got a lot of automated messages that go out um, and I have a members area that has all the answers to any question I've ever been asked on there. So if something comes up, I I don't have to record a video or a voice note or write out the same message anymore. I just refer them to the link and it's just so much easier. Everything is literally there for them. So now it takes me 
maybe 15 minutes to half an hour a week to coach one-on-one clients, depending on if I have to reprogram and things like that. So it's, you know, I've got four times the amount of time now. I think the, so I can remember for us, we had to like warn people a week in advance. We had to warn clients that we were going to be away or we were going to be, this is like pre-group coaching days. And you'd have to like get everyone to check in ahead of time or they'd maybe miss a week of check-ins. And it was like this huge, and the like the flexible existence of running an online business, you realize how much of an illusion that can be if you're not careful. Yeah. But I think when whenever we try and tell people about this, it's the same, um, the business as it is in fitness, right? Everyone's seen a, a business owner or someone doing it a certain way. They think that's the way that it's done. You try and tell them that's not the case. Their first point of resistance is, well, my clients won't like that. Or my clients will get it. My clients need messages from me. My clients need that manual replies. Have your clients, when you as you transition from manual to more semi-automated, did your clients mm. hate that? Were they okay with it? I don't think they hated it. It was definitely a fear I had moving to that system. I mean, definitely my newer clients that have come in since I have started that process have been fine with it because it's always just been that way from the start. They haven't had a choice. So whether they've been in group coaching or in my one-on-one coaching, it's just always been that way. Um, Some of my clients who I had previously, there was a few that I had to actually let go because they didn't like the new systems that I was putting in place and it was taking up more of my time than what they were worth to me based on how much time every other client was taking up as much as that sounds harsh you know they were still taking me an hour and a half a week because they're like well I'm paying you I'm going to message you and ask you all the questions that I want answered and I was trying to refer them to the members area but they were like well why is this changing why is it different and they still wanted my time the way they'd had it previously so I think there was three that I had to just get rid of as much as it sucked (laughs) but I didn't yeah, if I wanted to continue growing, they were taking up the time that I could use for four or five clients. So, yeah, so it was a no-brainer, really. Kind of an hourly rate perspective. And I think also yeah, there yeah. are certain clients that they've hired you because you're cheaper than a therapist, not because they necessarily want a coach. And yeah. I know that's a bit of a disparaging thing to say, but there's a certain profile. I think anyone listening to this will know there's a certain really small subset profile of of client that will sign up doesn't follow any of the advice but still has all the all the questions and wants all and like you know and wants to (laughs) every every report is like we've had reports of say three and a half thousand words just written out Per I week. have a cap. I have a limit on the job form of uh, how many really words can come nice. in it. <laughs> they have to keep it short because, yeah, otherwise people will just, they, they use it almost as a journal and, and you know, why why wouldn't they? Like if there's a therapeutic benefit for them and they have a lot of emotional kind of pressure to um, to talk to someone and there's someone who every week talks to them and it, it's that's just naturally going to happen. You know, there's a lot of, mm. um, you know, I, I used to work as a sports massage therapist um, and you get the occasional client that really is coming for mental health reasons rather than um, having a, a musculoskeletal issue. And, you know, mm. having spoken to like chiropractors and um, other kind of physical therapists in the past, they, they often say like 50% of their clients are, are really just coming because someone pays them attention. And um, it's a nice routine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely had a few of them. <laughs> but it was. From, sorry. From, to- from a business perspective or from a, a position of like, I want to get as many people a specific result as possible. 
and maximize my capacity to do that then it it just doesn't make sense to to no. load up your schedule with that kind of client yeah it's something exactly. we've never spoken about before actually this like um letting go of a client if they don't if they aren't willing to comply with the like the processes because mm. the, the hardest thing about that is obviously this person's paying you or they've paid you and you like I, the, the example that always sticks in my mind is that we once had someone like circumvent the check-in process by sending me a word document so there's like there's the process there's the process yeah it makes you feel ill doesn't it <laughs> so that, yeah well i mean word by itself but that was the tip of the iceberg to be honest so like what they, they circumvent the like send a five minute audio or check-in in this format and it's word document of like this week dot doc and you're like oh christ and then you open it and it's basically a like dissertation piece on the last week and the initial thought is oh well they got bloody hell like something must have really happened here like that this must be terrible and you get to the bottom of it and basically the crux of the document is i just didn't do any of the program this week so you're like, like, you know what the advice is just going to be well remember the remember the program that we discussed and to, really the answer from a coaching perspective is not i think the coach and everyone thinks like right i need to give double my time to this person or triple my time to help them even more but at the same time you are trying to run a, a business and you are mm-hmm. trying to manage your time and manage where time is spent so i think letting go of clients who weren't willing to to change is probably the best decision but extremely hard to do oh it is it, it was really hard like if i had you taken me back 18 months ago and told me you might have to get rid of some clients we're like what no i'm not like it's that hard <laughs> for me to get them i'm not getting rid of them but i guess i just sort of had to trust the process that they would keep coming in and they did so um yeah it was at the end of the day it was an easy decision just at the time it's a very hard one to make because you're essentially telling yourself that you're going to earn less money yeah yeah or if you ever have to refund someone for that reason mm that's yeah yeah i still i still struggle with that you're just very good at it just no as a door (laughs) (laughs) not joking but uh, (laughs) because it like it it leaves things on good terms because that's someone ultimately who's made themselves vulnerable to you and said you know i've got these problems and and it's like sorry i can't help you but also like from your perspective as a coach like refunding someone's brilliant because not only do they have no more grounds for complaining or anything but also it opens up your capacity for a better client you know plenty more mm. fish in the sea kind of thing but yeah when you're coming from a place of scarcity with your marketing and you're thinking well is there plenty more fish in the sea i don't know like i've only I, got eight thousand followers at that time <laughs> yeah you know like and out of that if i post i've got new coaching spots i'll only get a limited number of inquiries and how do i know that they're all going to convert and and so it does feel like you have to hold on to these kind of um, grandfathered in clients at all costs compared to operating from a place of abundance and knowing that like oh you can just switch the ads back on or you can you can just Mm. run a predictable sales process exactly and refresh the client rotor it's it's all okay yeah exactly yeah i think the because we get the same thing with um obviously during the last year a lot of people have had a lot of pressure on the cancellation side of things if you run like offline offline online offline you run a recurring Offline, offline, online, online. You're on a recurring model and gym shut or like the economy locks down, people start losing their jobs. The first thing that enters everyone's mind is like, oh shit, I'm going to have like all my clients going to leave. But that really, that worry comes from, as Yusuf says, it's the worry is not my clients will leave. The worry is, 
if my clients leave, I can't replace them. So Mm. people don't realize it. They think they have like a, I need a better app. I'm using PT distinction. I need to use trainerize. That'll, that'll mean people stay. Whereas actually the problem's a marketing problem. And if you fix Mm. the marketing problem or the sales problem, you fix that. People are only going to stay for a a certain period of time anyway, apart from Yusuf, who has a client that's been with him for 12 years now. (laughs) Who can put up with that much Yusuf? (laughs) (laughs) He has actually, I think he canceled for like a couple of months, but then straight back again. Yeah. Like not not even my own mother can put up with with that much Yusuf. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, most, most people have like a, as a client lifespan. Um, Mm. And that is not really much you can do about that. You know, if someone, transforms and reaches goals and completely changes they're not going to like continue paying you forever they're eventually going to leave so you're eventually going to have to get a new client and i mean that's kind of the point like i've i've personally worked with coaches before that have not actually taught you how to do anything they've just given you the program given you the nutrition so that without them like i guess you're really dependent on them as your coach because you don't know how to do anything else and i guess for me, like I want to help people. I want to empower people to change. And if they change and then they leave, to me that's a good thing because now it opens up a spot for someone else to change exactly the same way. Like if they've learned and they've changed and they're going to continue those habits, to me that's a good outcome. I've done right by them. Yeah, you, yeah. you want your clients to be able to graduate from needing you. And then exactly. if they do stay with you, then it's more for the kind of, because they enjoy the relationship and the accountability and so on. But yeah, I think that's a much more sustainable model as a as a coach rather than Mm. being more like a drug pusher exactly (laughs) it's also i think like a a coach a pt in a gym has Mm -hmm. a body of clients that they see every week and that there's largely the same and people have clients that have been with them for years and there's not very much turnover in that group of people Mm -hmm. you you don't tend to look at it as like i'm going to transform the my entire town and I'm going to work with everyone one-to-one for 12 weeks. And you think like, I need to fill my calendar and then I'm done. Whereas online, the cap is really just limited by where you select an ads manager, like which country you want to mm. get clients from. And your system. And your systems. And of course. Yeah. So tell us a bit about how the marketing side of things has changed from organic socials to fully automated living on a beach well, I'm definitely not living on a beach. It's well, almost the middle of winter here. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, in terms of my marketing now, so obviously when we started working together and I did um, some of the Facebook ad stuff with you, when I started running ads, I just posted, you know, sort of like my bodybuilding photos as the photo to bring people in. But there was kind of, I guess, a disconnect between the clients I was trying to get and those photos. So they didn't really work. So that was a lesson learned. I found posting more lifestyle type of photos worked with the women I was trying to attract Um, because I don't know about you guys, but in Australia we have this thing called tall poppy syndrome where if people are better than other people, they try and bring you down. So sort of posting my bodybuilding photos was sort of the reaction I got from people like, oh, you know, she's better than me. I'm not doing that. So I had to change that. Um, and once I changed that and I was starting to do my ads properly and spoke to Johnny about, you know, getting them working properly, um, I have a whole heap of clients coming in the door. I have a proper sales funnel to actually send them through rather than them just DMing me. So it's more of a one-to-many approach. Um, you know, I can market to a lot of people at once rather than spending my time DMing someone. Um, and that funnel converts at about 8% at the moment. So, Yeah. 
it just spits clients out, basically. <laughs> what a problem to have. <laughs> Amazing. What were you going to say? Oh, I just said 8% is massive. Um, it so. is. It is. I make a and profit that's... on my ad spend, so that's a good thing. On the front end? Yeah. So, yeah, I more than break even. Yeah. Oh, on the because we, we get asked this question a lot so we're going to answer it once once and for all so what you mean by that is these pe- the people who are, who are coming in are, are paying you at some point per month correct correct no so yeah they, that but also so after i don't know how much i'm allowed to give away on the podcast but after my sales funnel <laughs> propane business secrets it'll just get it'll just funnel, get blanked out back <laughs> Just go to an order form. <laughs> There'll be two men that come into your room now and just take you away as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so after my sales funnel, the money that I make on my first sale of my like six-week program after the funnel makes money based off the ad spend. So I'm still profitable at that six-week. So I might spend $100 on ads and I'm making 150 before I'm even on ongoing. Yeah. That and that, I suppose where the, where the value is in a model like that is if that person then stays for six months or a year or whatever, or 12 years, if you use stuff, then, you know, the, the hundred dollars to acquire a client is no brainer. hundred percent really. worth it. I think my average value is about 1300 Australian ish. That's awesome. Which would be like three yeah. pounds, 10, four, four pounds. Yeah. About that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's great. That's a, uh, you know, four pounds goes a, goes a long way. Long way. Cool. Buy me a cheeseburger to eat with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that I think it's um, for, for from our side communicating this to people. The hardest thing to get across is what so many people have been taught, what so many people are doing is they'll spend two hours making a Canva infographic and a really comp- like a really th- thoughtful caption, and it gets thirty likes and maybe a DM, and they just think mm. that that it's that to a Calendly link to a call where you have a fairly pushy script to sell a, an upfront block of coaching. And they mm. think that's appealing because it's, it's cash now, but really the value is like, we, we have this realization because in, in Stripe, which is our, like a, a payment processor, we, it ranks as a leaderboard of client lifetime value. So whenever we tried the high ticket thing, it's like, you think, wow, like all this money up front, but then you look at the leaderboard and you're like, hold on, the person paying a hundred pounds a month is like way, way ahead of this, of these high ticket sales. So there's obviously something, there's obviously something wrong mm. here. And the person oh. who's paid you a hundred pounds a month for a year, they've probably had, they're probably worth more than that, which is the mm. other thing. Like they've had testimonials. They've given you testimonials. They've probably given you referrals. They might even help in your groups and things like that as well. So yeah. that's why I was such a big proponent of that. So it's amazing to see it working for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think my first channel challenge that was organic converted at about twenty six percent. So it was huge. <laughs> I think you're. I think you've only been beaten by one person in that. So I know that's not a very nice thing to hear, but so it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you are you are top of the leaderboard on because your challenges and I suppose like the journey we take people through is live organic turning ads on and then moving it to the point where it's like semi automated, and yeah. you're at that point. Top yes, so mine's pretty much world. semi-automated. Yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Yes. I think that's all the questions we had. But Yusuf's got some, hopefully, some very important questions. 
I don't don't have any more. chimneys on I toilet would, paper. But I, I actually have to have another call three minutes ago, so I'm going to have oh. to dash. Um, <laughs> it's actually the the propane business hot seat, isn't it? Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll see you on it, Yusuf. Oh uh, yeah, so I don't want to let <laughs> don't let the guys down. So, um, cool. Beck, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on and talking us through your your trade secrets. Um, there'll be two men in dark coats with a stick standing outside your door. The stick. Um, you just have How to sign send them over from the UK so fast. It's just Alex. We've got our connection. It's just Alex. Yeah. <laughs> He's in America, though, so it's no different. <laughs> yeah, well, he, that's why we had to confirm the podcast time last week. So he's not here because he's he's outside your room. Actually, but he'll be oh, he'll explain. Okay. He'll explain. He, he's a national level swimmer and he's <laughs> and got, he swam here. He's got so many medals <laughs> that he has to have a separate outbuilding for them. <laughs> so you got me oh. snorting. You've done well if you get that's me snorting. That's great. It's there's nothing nothing funnier on a podcast than watching someone lose it and laugh. <laughs> Fantastic. The trailer's going to be Yusuf's reaction to <laughs> to reading out the would you rather and reala- slowly realizing that <laughs> it was shit. I was stunned. I was like, "What? Like, what was that?" Uh, no, well, I've committed now. I can't. I can't go back on it. That's what we had. Beck. Beck, that was awesome. Thank much. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.